As we begin the new year, it's, it's often, it's, it's said, you know, we see it in the news, we see it uh, at, at, in our workplace, um, oftentimes even in schools this question is asked, but you know, what, is your, what are your new year's resolutions? And we don't see that in scripture. There's not a verse that says, you know, thou shalt determine 10 new year's resolutions. But it does talk about goals and there is, there's principles that teach us that there are, are steps to take. And part of the New Year's resolutions is that idea. This is a goal. How do I get there? And we see this in many areas of, of life. Uh, we see that uh, you know, Josh is in physical therapy and is uh, you know, working to become a physical therapist. Christine is in the middle of a uh, physical therapy plan. And, and what does that involve? What exercises is she supposed to do? There are specific steps. The goal you know, for, for Christine is to get to the point where she can jump and run and turn and, and have full movement of her knee. How does she get there? Well, right now it's going to a physical therapist a couple times a week and then doing things at home. And there's steps along the way. Many of you who returned to school last week in high school, you may have gotten some new assignments. Uh, Easton was telling me this morning, yeah, we only had school Thursday and Friday, but as soon as we got back, I mean, bam, and they hit us with work. It was hard. Some of you who start uh, school this week at KSU and other colleges, you'll receive uh, a syllabus for each class. And in that syllabus, it'll say, okay, this is, what, this is the scope. This is the, the things that you have to do this semester. And it can be an overwhelming time, but there are steps to take. Peter has laid a foundation here um, and, and given a lot of doctrine, given a lot of truths. But now he transitions, and we've already seen several things of our profile, heirs of the living hope, examples of genuine faith in the first chapter, a fulfillment of God's eternal plan. This isn't just like, a, oh, you know, God had this, this idea. No, this, is, this has been part of the eternal plan of redemption, and we're a fulfillment of that. It's nothing new. And then a few weeks ago, we began chapter 2, or, or the end of chapter th- uh, 1, and there was a call to action to be an active participant of God's plan. And then specifically, we see this transition now in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Okay, well, how, how does that happen? How do, how do we do this? How do we become an active participant of God's plan? How do we show that we're heirs of the living hope? And we begin in, chap, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says to put away something. So in essence, reject your former way of life as an unredeemed sinner, to put off that, to, to abandon that, to reject your former way of life as an unredeemed sinner. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. In the first chapter, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, we see that we are born again to a living hope. And then in verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action. Peter begins this transition and says, okay, this is the truth. Now what do you do with that? How, what does that mean for you? What does it mean practically? What are the steps to take? And then as we continue now into chapter 2, these are some of the steps that we take. It's based off of God's word in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. So it references back to, to all the things that we've seen so far in chapter 1. And then it says, so, or some of your versions may read, therefore, because of all this, then reject your former way of life. 
remember several years ago, my oldest brother was on a, a strict diet and, and exercising, and he was losing weight. And I've, I mentioned this to some of you before, but when we were talking, and, and I said, hey, so tell me about it. I mean, what's this process? You look great. And he said, man, I feel great. I feel just awesome. I've lost a lot of weight. And he said, I found one exercise that has been super, super effective at helping me lose weight. And I, I love you know, sports and exercise. I'm like, okay, well, what is it? What's the exercise? And he said, it's this right here. No. I'm like, that's it? He said, yeah, if I look at food that I want to eat, I just go, nope. He said, and that is the one primary exercise that has helped me lose weight. Spiritually, this is part of the equation. This is not the only part. Growing in Christ and growing in our walk with him is not just the negative aspect of rejecting, but it's, it does start with that. God, show me in your word, allow that to be a mirror. And what are some things in my life that I need to put off, that I need to abandon, that I should not run back to? I've been redeemed from that. I've been bought back from that. We, we sang about being rescued out of a horrible pit. And I've, I've given this illustration before, but it sticks in my mind, and I think about it often. Sometimes as, as believers, we have this idea that, that God just kind of helped us over a little mud puddle. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're sinners, but it wasn't that bad. He, he just kind of helped us out of maybe a little mud puddle, and, and we weren't really that dirty. But, you know, really the picture that Scripture shows me is that I was in a miry pit, the psalmist says. And he rescued me from that. So don't run back to it. Reject the former ways of life as an unredeemed sinner. On our, the trip to Southeast Asia, one of the, the guys that was with me, Carl, uh, we spent a lot of time on the van together. It just We happened to be where we'd often sit next to each other. And he told me kind of his story about losing a lot of weight and eating a lot, to, you know, a lot more healthy. And, and he said, you know, what's helped me is, is I see something that I enjoy. I just remind myself, you know, I've already had that. I've already tasted it. And I know it's good, but I don't need to, do, I don't need to taste it again. And so that's helped me to, to kind of put off those things. Spiritually, kind of the, the opposite is we should look back and go, you know, I've tasted that and it's not helping. This is not good for me. That is a lie of Satan. John 8, 44, Jesus says, Satan is the father of lies. That's what temptations are about. So what should you reject? Peter begins to list a few things. This list is not exhaustive. But it gives us an idea of what are some types of things that in our life as a believer, as an heir of the living hope, that should not have part. What are some things that we should reject? First of all, it says to put away all malice. All malice. The Oxford Dictionary defines it this way. The desire to do evil or to harm someone else with words or actions. So put away all malice. Secondly, it says put away deceit. So the act of withholding truth or misrepresenting truth. And we need to really think through that. It's not only telling, you know, all-out lies, but how often do we misrepresent the truth? How often do we withhold some of the truth? How often do we try to manipulate the, the truth in a sense to kind of benefit our own desires and agenda? Peter says, and the Holy Spirit says, put, off, put that off. Reject that. 1 Peter 2, verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit. And then goes further and says hypocrisy. So acting in a way that is contrary to what you say you believe. Well, I believe, I believe this, but then your actions show something very different. Jesus, 
He didn't mince words with those who were hypocrites in his time. He showed great compassion. He, he, in fact, he was called a friend of sinners. But for those who, who thought and who proclaimed of how good they were and, and the list that they would follow and all these things, he, man, he shot right through and says, you're a hypocrite. You say things with your lips, but you don't live it. So as, as redeemed sinners, we're to put off those things. We're to reject all forms of hypocrisy. 1 Peter 2, 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. This even references back a few verses prior as we were called to action. One of the things that we were called to action in the latter part of verse one or chapter 1 was to be a, a sincere friend. Notice 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, and get this, a sincere brotherly love. Not a, not a, a, a brotherly love that's hypocritical, that is, you know, you act one way in front of the brother or sister in Christ and then behind their back you act another way. No, it's a, it's a sincere brotherly love to reject hypocrisy. Envy, a selfish longing to have what someone else has. First Peter 2 and verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. Boy, I think this is a huge sin that we struggle with in the United States. And it's not just our country. It's just part of being human. But I think with, with all that we have at, at available and the marketing and social media, and, and we look back at how you know, tech uh, in our home can be a threat, this is part of it that so easily can lead us to be envious. Man, I wish I had that. Well, it must be nice. Do that. Oh, it must be nice. Well, it says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. Think about this statement. This was challenging to me as I studied this past week. It says in the ESV expository commentary, it said this statement, envy is the fruit of dissatisfaction with God. If God were truly enough for us, we would not feel the need to have what others enjoy. If I'm truly satisfied in God and Christ is enough and, and the great I am is providing the bread of life for me and the, and the eternal water and he's the eternal present God for me in reality, if he's enough, then I can rejoice with a brother and sister in Christ who has more or different things than I have. If I'm satisfied in God, then that's going to help me not to look at others and sometimes even unbelievers and go, wow, man, I'm a believer and I know I have a home in heaven, but I sure would like to have what they have here on earth. If I'm fully satisfied in God, it'll help me not to be envious. Another thing we see in, in this passage is to reject or put away all slander, saying harmful things about others with the intent to damage their reputation. Often the intent or the idea behind this is to kind of lift ourselves up. If we can tear them down, then it may, maybe it'll make me look a little better. But 1 Peter 2 verse 1, so put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Then jump to verse 11. It'll be on the screen as well. But the, here we see a term that encompasses a lot of these things already and even more in 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. It talks about the passions of the flesh. It's a more general term that can include anything that would be associated with your former way of life as an unredeemed sinner. 
First Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or travelers and exiles to abstain, to reject from the passions of the flesh, notice this, which wage war against your soul. Galatians 5.19 talks about some of these works of the flesh. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Sometimes we don't think of that as like, you know, that big of a sin, but it's listed here in the works of the flesh. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Man, that's just my personality. Well, personality needs to be transformed. And God can help you. Don't be satisfied with, your, with a, 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 something that reminds you and reflects your former way of life as an unredeemed sinner. Allow God to change all of you. Don't keep a few things like, well, it's just who I am. Well, it's not who you should be. And God wants to change you and help you and to, for you to, to enjoy true freedom. John says that you know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we see... Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And then verse 21 of Galatians 5. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are some of the things that we should reject, abandon, put off. Now why? Why should you reject these things? Well, we see in 1 Peter 2.11, to reflect your true identity as travelers and exiles in this war, world. 1 Peter 2.11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners. Peter's pointing out, hey, remember, you're just travelers here. You're just sojourning. You're not, this is not your permanent home. So as a sojourner, as a traveler, as an exile, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Remember 1 Peter 1 and verse 1, he, how he started out his letter and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. We are, we are travelers. We're just sojourners. Many different occasions while you know, living abroad and traveling abroad, uh, people have quickly realized that I was far from my home. Sometimes it was because of the way that I dressed. Uh, just recently, when I was in Doha, uh, Qatar, I, I looked very different as I was walking around the market that night. I did not have the same, you know, garb that, that many of the other men did around me. And so it was very easy for them to look and go, <laughs> that's an American. In Brazil, the same way. There's, there's things that, that we wore and, and, and brands and styles of clothing that that especially when we first moved to Brazil and hadn't really quite assimilated into the culture, that as people saw us, they're like, they're not from around here. Other times it was, it was different expressions. It was cultural things. I'll never forget shortly after moving to Brazil and I was, I was simply eating a meal at a, at a graduation ceremony and uh, this, this young lady who was finishing Bible seminary was next, next to me. I was barely even speaking Portuguese. I think I knew maybe 10, 15 words, but I knew how to eat, or I thought I did. And so I was, I was eating, and I, I would use my fork and kind of use my fork to scrape up the beans and rice against the side of the plate, or sometimes I'd grab my bread and use my bread to kind of scoop the food onto my fork. And I remember she tapped me on the shoulder, and I, I looked, and she says, and then she proceeded to pick up a knife, and then her fork, and then on her plate, she showed how, me how to scoop the rice and beans onto the fork with the knife. 
And I, I don't know exactly what she said in Portuguese, but I got the gist of, Pastor David, this is how you're supposed to eat a meal here in Brazil. I'm like, okay. I'm like, thank you. And so from that point, I began to use a fork, and it was kind of awkward at first. I was like, you know, what, what do I do with this thing? But now I miss that. If I'm in a restaurant and they don't have a knife, a lot of times I'll say, hey, could you give me a knife? So if you see me eat that way, just humor me. That's how, that's how I learned how to eat again at 22, you know, 24 years old. But these things showed that, man, I, I'm not from around here. I'm a, I'm a traveler. I'm a sojourner. We see how in, uh, even in Argentina, I remember going to Argentina, and um, I didn't kiss the men when I greeted them at first. But everybody else did. But I, that wasn't part of my custom. So they knew, well, you're not, you're not from here. This passage is a powerful reminder to all followers of Christ. You're not from here. You're going to be seen as different. People may even ask, man, what, what is different about you? Why do you do things like this? Don't follow the world. Don't act like the world does. Don't choose your priorities like the world does. Don't raise your children like the world thinks you should raise your children. Reject the distorted concept of love that the world has embraced. Reject the, the selfish, materialistic mindset that the world has been enslaved in. In essence, Peter's saying, remember who you are. Remember your identity. You're just a traveler here. You're not going to be here that long. Don't, don't be conformed to all the things that you see around you. Be willing to be different. To show your true identity as an heir of the living hope, of the eternal hope in Christ. Be okay with others asking, why are you so different? Instead of seeing that as an insult, take that as a compliment. Well, man, hopefully I'm reflecting Christ and I want to share a few reasons why I'm different. It's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm so intelligent that I arrived at some of these conclusions. But Christ has done and is doing an amazing work in my life for which I'm extremely grateful. I don't deserve, but these are some of the reasons why I'm different. Now, this is not a call for Christians to be on purpose odd or weird or just like, you know, make it a point to, okay, well, you know, uh, the, the world wears jeans. I'm not going to wear jeans. Not, 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 not any of that. And unfortunately, sometimes in the Christian world, things like that have happened. It's just like we want to be weird because we're just going to be weird. But as we follow Christ, as we reject the former way of life as an unredeemed sinner, people will notice. And people sometimes will even ask, what is it about you? Why is your purpose different? Why are you not so motivated by money like the rest of us are? Why is it that you are, are interested in, in you know, rearing godly kids and not just good kids? Well, because this is what Christ is doing in my life. Secondly, why should we reject these things to follow the Holy Spirit and be on the right side of the spiritual war? To follow the Holy Spirit that dwells within us and to be on the right side of the spiritual war. 1 Peter 2.11, notice again, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which do what? You can, yeah, help me, help me out. If your version's different, just say what your version says. Which wage war against your soul. 
This, this, the passions of the flesh, those things that are the former way of life, they're, they're not just kind of inconvenient things, but they, they wage war against your soul and against my soul. And so it's the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to be on the right side of that spiritual warfare. I need to reject these things. It's not to look like an awesome Christian, but it's to be able to side with the Holy Spirit and say, yeah, okay, I, I want you to lead. I want you to guide. I want you to, to fill me as I, as I follow you and follow your leading. Romans 8, 6. It's one of the passages that I memorized as a teenager. It was a time in my life where I was struggling with my thought life, and, and this was a, a very helpful passage. So I began to learn, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's going to lead to destruction. If you set your mind on the flesh, that's the path you're going down. For set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set on the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And as a teenager, I begged God and I said, God, that's what I want. I want life and I want peace. I don't want destruction. It appears so, so tempting. It appears so awesome. But God, I, I, I realized by your word and by the Holy Spirit within me, that is not what brings me life and peace. And I want, I want to follow the Spirit in my life. Romans 8, 12, ahead a few verses in that passage, Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, into that former way of an un, uh, unredeemed sinner's life. You didn't, you're not to fall back into fear, into that slavery, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then verse 17, and if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Boy, it seems like Peter and Paul were talking about the same living hope. And that is one of the reasons of why we should reject these things. It's not to be in good standing with Pastor David. It's not so we, you can be the elite part of One Hope Church. But it's so that as you follow Christ, you're reflecting to all the world around you. I'm just a traveler here. This is not my final home, but I want to please God while I'm here. I want to reflect Christ you know, to others and show Christ. But, but I'm looking towards my, the heir, being an heir of the living hope, of the eternal hope. And then while I'm here, while I'm traveling, while I'm a sojourner, I'm in exile, I want to be on the side, the winning side of the Holy Spirit of that spiritual warfare to reject the former way of life. Secondly, we see in this passage to crave the spiritual food of God's word. Crave the spiritual food of God's word. Think with me a little bit, and it'll be on the screen, the definition of this word crave. To long for, want greatly, desire eagerly. Examples given here are to crave sweets, to crave affection. Another fuller, you know, kind of additional meaning to this, to require, to need a problem craving prompt attention is the example given. To ask earnestly for or to beg for. And in this passage, the metaphor is that as newborn infants, as they, as they long for, for milk, as newborn infants spiritually, we should long for the spiritual milk. Some versions say, of the word. So that, that should be a craving that we have. So I, I ask you, what do you crave for? What do you long for? 
Newborn infants, they, they crave, they long for, they beg, they cry for milk. It doesn't matter if you have like a little rattle toy and you're like, oh, look here. And you're cuddling the baby and you, you, you walk with the baby. That may work for just a short while, but eventually the baby in, in his cries or her cries is, is proclaiming, I don't want anything else. I want milk. I want to be fed. I want to be nourished. So that's the idea that as spiritual believers, as, as infants, as those who are growing in Christ, we are to long for, we are to crave, we are to desire greatly that word of God. Through some of Kim's pregnancies, I remember some of the cravings that she had. I, I think it was with uh, Jessica, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, but she, she really craved um, slushies. And, and uh, the, the sor- sorbet, how do you say that? Sherbert? That she just craved that. And so it seemed like every day, you know, I'd go home, it's like, yeah, I've got more sherbet. <laughs> I've got I'm doing more slush. She's like, Great, wonderful. That sounds awesome. Another pregnancy, I think it may have been with, with Audrey or Mary, but she she craved scrambled eggs. And so as we would travel around to the partnering churches, and then after the service, you're like, oh, so where should we go to eat? And Kim, you know, and the kids began to realize, man, mom's always saying like IHOP, Cracker Barrel, Waffle House. I mean, like, can we eat something else? But in her mind, it's like, where are their eggs? Where can I get eggs? She craved for that. She longed for that. And as, as believers, we should long for God's word. We should have a craving for that. Begging, God, use your word in my life. Job 23, 12, it's so vivid how he puts this. Job says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Appreciated this statement by John MacArthur. It says, God's word is always as powerful in believers' lives as when they first believed. So this passage, Peter is is already a seasoned believer. There's other seasoned believers that we're going to read this in the very first audience of this letter, and certainly in the years to come as the Holy Spirit led him to write that. So this is not just for uh, newborns in Christ, but this is for all of us in Christ to, to crave, to long for, to continue growing in the milk of the Word, in the pure spiritual milk. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, notice this, which is at work in you believers. This is a, a, a continual thing. This is a present action. It didn't just work in you to save you, but it should be at work in you as believers. And then notice Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So thankful that as we grow in Christ, that it's not dependent on our efforts, it's not dependent on all that we can do, but we have a God who is continually working in us. He gives us both the will and the power to do what he's called us to do. Some of you who are exploring and asking questions and learning more about God, this is a, this is a fear that some of you have, and I can understand this, of, of well, how will I know that, that I can continue in this? You can't, and I can't, but God will help you. 
As you put your faith in him, God will preserve you. God will keep you. He will give you the power. As we just saw, as Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?